underway. I do mean underway. I wonder why fund managers can't beat the S&P 500. Because they're sheep. And sheep get slaughtered. We have concluded the following. Because I know more than anybody. Cold winter has apparently not affected the army. They know Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 28 of Pounding the Table. Let's call this one the Adrian Peterson episode. You know, we got a little wounded over the past few weeks, but just like AP, coming back stronger than ever, become those MVPs y'all know and love. We're going to slow things down just a little bit here. We got to be real with everyone, right? Like, shit has not been that good over the past few weeks. And I know we talked about the bonsai multiple times heading into this episode, but Tony and I even couldn't bonsai fast enough. So at the end of the day, we have to sit here. We have to zoom out, reassess where we actually are. We always talk about that, right? So we have some exciting things this episode. We're going to be talking about our old friend Nanox. And we have a special guest here today as we sit down to finally connect with Mr. John Fieldley, the CEO of Celsius Energy Drinks. I'm hyped up. It's been way too long away from the actual mic. We've been all over YouTube and talking and having those Q&As, charting sessions and all that, but I'm back at the table and I'm ready to pound some stuff. For those of you who are new, Pine the Table is a podcast by Avi Mash and Anthony Ohai and yours truly talking about the stock market, the art of options trading, and each week we analyze the news and provide our insights and opinions around how we think the markets will be impacted. Quick disclaimer here, everybody knows the rules. The thoughts on this podcast are purely that of opinion and of our own personal investment. Everything said on every episode of Pounding the Table, as well as our own Twitter account, are not and never should be used as financial advice, recommendations, or solicitations. Do your own DD. Make your own decisions. Be your own man or woman or they. Do that. (laughs) Got a little add-on here today. So it it feels so good to be back, Tony. And especially... We're recording on a Friday, so we can finally try to get on you know, a nice schedule here. We were looking back here at 2020. We thought that was absolute crazy, but in 2021, Pound Nation really needs to be put in a straitjacket and brought to Six Flags because this last little <laughs> bit has been one hell of a ride. You know, Tony, I know over the past few episodes, you did share some warning signs, right? Like this was not out of the blue whatsoever. I really wanted to talk to you about this one tweet that kind of stuck out to me where you pulled up. You played this kind of fatherly figure, more or less, and doing this post-mortem over the past few weeks. You know, when the markets are rough, even I go back and I listen to the episodes we make, especially the ones that were leading up into the things that really made the big difference, like the start of this crash. And I pulled some quotes out and I did this tweet and I wrote, did you uh, pay off the debts that you could? Did you reduce risk on big up moves and concentrate into safer positions? Hashtag bonsai. Did you do your own DD? Did you not lie to yourself on your risks and your goals? Did you plan for a crash that will put hair on your chest? before the crash happened. And then I said, if you don't do any of these things, you really don't listen to the podcast because we just share research. We just want to get out the information, the strategies, the the intel on how the market works and how we're doing it. But we can't, you know, you can bring a horse to water, you can't make it drink. So people don't like to listen to this loss thing. The the idea of loss and losing money, people Mm -hmm. are loss averse. It scares them, right? So naturally in your mind, you're going to tune out that stuff. That's the shit you need to listen to more. 
on the podcast who cares about the pounds who, who cares about like the research the strategies whatever mm-hmm. it cares about where your account is at that place in time your account should always be as close to all-time highs as possible and if you don't listen to the things that are the downside right everyone makes money on the upside i close my eyes and throw a bullet at anything and it hits right away i mean that's the market we were at in the last six months and that's the way it's been but it's not the same market anymore because the conditions have changed and it was the exact conditions i outlined i said as rates start going up that's going to be an issue for growth and that was what happened but it doesn't mean growth is dead all those guys who were saying growth are dead have paper hands. Yeah. I mean, it, and, it, and it is easier said than done. You know, I, I'm the same way. This was all happening while I had Corona too. So like, right. I'm just watching my, you know, account go down, down, down. And I'm trying to bonsai as much as I can while sweating bullets in bed, just not feeling good. So yeah, it, you know, it's a lot easier said than done, but really, you know, it was nice to actually kind of take a step back. You know, I had a massive lost day and then that kind of set the tone for me. Like I've had other lost days since then, but it wasn't as bad as that one day. Right. And so I started to rethink about where I'm at. Right. (laughs) At a certain point, I was just like, I just need to go to sleep and and wake up and hopefully things change. They didn't change very much, but you know, what? we had (laughs) conviction around every single stock and company that I have in my portfolio. So even though they are down, I still three to five years out, I'm I'm loving those. Right. And so that's really brings us to this concept of, of zooming out. Right. We always say you are where you are. But if you actually zoom out, and it's funny because even though we were dying left and right every single day, it felt like at the end of the day, we zoomed out and we're like, wait a second, we're actually up on the year still. So I think as an investor, not only within the stock market, but just really with anything in life, being able to actually zoom out, take yourself out of your own body if you can, and just take a second to be like, okay, where am I actually? Like, where was I six months ago compared to today? So Talk to us a little bit about what what you were discussing before the show about zooming out here. Yeah, I mean, and in no way am I going to come out and say, oh, I crushed this down. I got absolutely walloped too. Like it it, it happened. Like, and and I was sitting there with machetes chopping off things that went two, three, five, 10 X and this and that. And I have this mentality now of trying to be a long-term investor. And I always will have my long-term conviction investments that I own. Though adding new names, it's hard to understand how those stocks move. You don't have the time because there's not enough time on those charts. There's not enough time those stocks yeah. have been alive. Not enough players have been in the game for that long in those names. So of course, what goes up quickly can come down quickly. And I remember saying on the pod, I was like, I see a lot that I don't like. You know, People are being much more degenerate in the way that they're trading. And like, I noticed this myself, like I was spreading myself too thin. The bonds, I had a great core and I never uh, like, you know, deviated away from that. But Mm -hmm. the branches did start like curling in on themselves like old fingernails. So it was hard for me to sit there and really realize where I was because I've never been there before. I never made as much money as I made as quickly as I made it. And then just thought, all right, well, like I'm going to freaking retire here. And then of course, as much as you want to manage trim, take off a third, this and that, the stuff that I do religiously that sometimes is not enough. So that just kind of throws out the idea of history for me and really trying to understand the context of where I am right now. So I said this last year in March, like the crash was really good because it showed you what was strong and what held up the most because of what went down the least and what came back the fastest. However, that was like a really isolated event. And so you can't necessarily connect that to the true strength of those stocks because what if a fund was just deleveraging a ton of these specific names or this and that or whatever? Like March was such a crazy time last year that this mm-hmm. time March's crash was much more like understood and much more, it 
was less fear panic and more rotation. And not everyone was getting killed, just the people who've been winning so damn much. And I will say though, that this is when you can see what, you know, the tide washes out on the beach and which beautiful shells are the ones standing strong. And that's the biggest thing for me. It's like, I wanna see relative strength and I wanna know, well, in the future, let's say this happens again. If I allocate my bonsai according to the numbers of how much everything went down by that percent, I'll know my theoretical max loss in a similar situation to this Mm -hmm. versus the first time when things were just going up because they had not gone down before. They had not had a meaningful pullback because they were either A, new stocks that just hit the market or because they were things that have never really ran insanely. So there was never a way for them to have a big dip. So things change and you have to change too, like adapt, flow like water, all that stuff. It sounds like cliche adages. It's truth. Mm -hmm. Well, and the one, you know, it all all sounds great, right? And, And I say the same thing. It's so easy to say when you're zooming out, right? How do you like learn while you're in it though? Because you know you mentioned the March crash last year. We no one had any idea. This was kind of unprecedented territory. So in those moments, what happens? The bottom could entirely fall out. And then you know in January, it's never going to stop. It just keeps going up. And I think greed, you know, despite how much we talk about it, is such a powerful thing. So like, what have you learned? I guess in your young trading career. How do you manage that greed? I guess next time this happens, because it will happen again. It will absolutely happen again. It'll happen a hundred times, like in the next whatever years. Like this is just how the market works, right? We get in cycles. And the biggest thing that I learned here is conviction is a double-edged sword. And I will shout out at High Yield 6 for that, because that's the truth. Because Mm -hmm. I believe in my companies to a fault. And that allows me to win when everyone's scared and gets out. But it also allows me to lose big because I'm usually there early and all these gains. And I know that they'll be there in maybe three or five years. But if they get there in six months, then I'm actually being greedy and I'm being wrong for not taking that and understanding, hey, like, I'm usually early, but if the market shows me that I was early, but right too fast, that's the same negative double-edged sword. So it doesn't matter... Let's say you have any random stock, right? And like the, the stock's at 100 and you think the target's 200 in three or four years based on EBITDA, multiple, whatever, and it goes there. But like, let's say it overshoots, goes to three, 400. That's over your target. At that point, you're holding it. You're lying to yourself. And so for me, that's hard because like conviction is hard to pick the exact number on when the conviction stops because you have conviction that's supposed to be not just only blinding in fact of like shutting out the noise that goes against your conviction, but also you have to understand that the conviction can hurt you just for that reason, because you believe in it so much. And so what I've learned is like, I want to condense my portfolio. And I mean, mean, it just reiterates the fact of I want to condense my portfolio. And that's what I use this crash to do. I actually got back into Tesla around 600, very much back into SC around 200, Fiverr around 200, Square around 200. Of course, like I did nothing but add CMLF and I own CCIV still. Like I believe in those names and I still have those names. But the thing is, it's like the amount percent of those names as they run, as they go insane, that needs to be adjusted constantly. I need to be out there every day with a hedge trimmer, just protecting myself. And it's, it's different though, because like for SE, like I never want to sell a share and that's okay. But I also know that SE only went down 20 something percent during this crash. And it felt mm-hmm. like Armageddon. It felt like March for the growth names, right? So knowing that my loss is probably 20 to 25%, knowing the company just added three new business legs, I'm much less scared about that one versus like, let's say, you know, CCIV, like 
you know, that one was obviously driven heavily by institutions and by the hedge funds catching SPAC arbitrage and stuff. But understanding that went to my target within the first couple weeks of it being announced of this. So that's the difficulty for me is like, while you have the conviction and you believe that you were right, if you're already right, reassess again. Because if you yeah. already nailed the target, the target changes. Like you yeah. hit the bullseye, bullseye is gone, new bullseye. And that's well, the that- way you got to keep moving forward. Yeah. And I was just thinking in my head, like, you know, establishing those checkpoints, right? So if it's stocks at 40, you think it's going to go to hundred at 95, you start to reassess where you're at, but then can you raise the floor as well? So for example, you mentioned SC, let's just keep going with that example. If they add another leg and they start, you know, actually acting on everything that they've been talking about and adding new legs there, right? Can then you raise that floor and say, shit, all right, now my new target's 130, 140, right? Like, yeah. Do you do that? I did that just now for SC. I mean, like, okay, I'll, I'll be upfront. Like, I never leverage. I leveraged the hell out of SC at 200. And, like, mm-hmm. I just did it because I felt so strongly convinced, like, if it went to 150, who cares? Yeah. And, like, I, this is no way. And, like, I, I don't recommend anyone use leverage. Like, I know what I'm doing. I would not recommend anyone do it unless they have, like, a lot of experience in the market. It's dangerous. Yeah. But I don't ever really use leverage only at specific really good opportunities, especially not when the market's zooming do I use leverage? Mm-hmm. Leverage is intended to make money when the markets have gone absolutely disgusting. Like you felt the despondency, you felt the capitulation in the markets. And for me, that was okay. And, and then I didn't just randomly throw the leverage, right? Like it came down after the three new sources of their income, right? So now they have AI labs, now they have C capital, and now they have food delivery. And not only that, they came in six months, trounced Mercado Libre, been there for 20 years. And yes, you can say that it's only on the phone app, but that's how C dominates. That's where it starts, right? Mobile is bigger than like the internet, obviously. More people have phones and computers in Latin America. Do the math. So that's how that works for me. So I'm thinking, well, they added three new business legs. Obviously, they're AI labs. I have no idea what the hell is going to be in that, and I'm excited about that. Obviously, there's C capital. Look what Tencent did. How did C how did C start? C started by Tencent having basically a C capital and investing in C. And now it's happening again. So they're innovating on what got innovated for them to start. I'm a fan of that. And so because of that, I felt confident in adding more and raising my floor. Now I think I'll change my targets. I haven't like done the math yet, but it doesn't matter. I knew a 200 is lower than it should be. And so for me, I was like, hit the VWAP at 190. I was in, but that's because I had the dry powder and like, mm-hmm. that's important, like the NAVs. And, and I bought way more than I needed to, right? Yeah. Like I wanted to buy in, a, in like a very large amount just so I can over time trade my way out of margin, even sell other positions. And I only put on margin the things that I am the most confident right. in because otherwise you're being a degenerate and I don't want to be a degenerate. I'm trying to be a professional investor, right? So yeah. that's the way that it works here. Then if you take a look, like uh, Marlon Pieris, you know, big shout out to him always. Uh, SE's down 34% from their high. And a lot of these great stocks are, you know, Square, we talk about minus 32%. Tesla, minus 40%. So a lot of these great names that we've been talking about got demolished, right? And we always talk about this concept of they almost act as some of these jet skis. But these these things are bigger than a jet ski. These things are boats that are going to stick around. And big shout out to one of my mentors, uh, Keith, who I had a conversation with. He's like, when you see one of your great stocks that you love, you know, so we were talking about CRM actually as well. If that thing's 25, 30% off its highs. Like me personally, that's a, that's a buy signal where I'm starting to take a look at some of these great names and knowing that five years from now, these names are going to be higher. Yeah. They got hit a little bit, but like, these are great names. Sure. Like I'm the biggest skills fan in the world, but skills, I'll just be honest with myself. That is probably more of a jet ski. Like there's definitely more question marks around skills than there is of more of established companies such as CRM and SC is probably in between those two, but SC is, you know, as you mentioned over and over again, that thing's got legs. And, you know, we always talk about beyond just the stocks, like 
where's crypto at, right? So we yeah. were talking about Bitcoin. Just I was just looking now, 59,000 ETH breaking over 2K. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, crypto has been just incredible. Like it, it, to see the adoption institutionally by them in various platforms, Visa, PayPal, this, that, everyone, you know, Goldman goes from, oh, Bitcoin's a risky crap. This is why Goldman sucks. Bitcoin goes from a crappy asset to we're starting a Bitcoin, like, you know, thing for our clients. Like, come on, man. Like, you guys are just late to the party. Like, we're, we've been sitting here. We already ate all the chips. And this is the way that it really works when you understand what's going on in the markets, right? We pounded Bitcoin at 10,000 and Ethereum at 300. So that's an important thing for me to understand, too, is like, while you would think that crypto and Ethereum would go down 50, 60% in here, held way better than most of the other stuff. And so that's relative strength. That changes the game. And plus, exactly. once you have institutional use and adoption, Ethereum and Bitcoin are all based on use and adoption. How can you be bearish if you have a brain? So that's the way that I really feel about that. But I will also say that a lot of retail investors, and I, I like this is why we do it. We do it for the retail investors, but I'm not going to paint like these rose colored lenses for you to look through. I'm going to tell you the truth. The suits ran us upside down. And that's the truth. The big boys were playing here and mm -hmm. people were thinking, oh, I got my EBITDA free cash flow comps comparison. Sheep. Stop being sheep. Listen to the truth because you got wrecked because of the big boys and stuff. And I've been saying that these guys are going to close the SPAC arbitrage. They closed it so much that it flipped negative. Why do you think we bounced? because there was no money for them left to squeeze. They had to go our direction. People want to say that the Roaring Kitty and Wall Street Bets did GameStop the second time. Learn to understand the markets you're in and the players, because we're not players. The retails are ants to these yeah. guys. It's just $1 sign versus 1,000. And so you can't win if it's a demand and supply market, and that's what it is. So you can see the narratives here, right? We had quarter flows. Nobody cares. Like retail doesn't have to deal with quarters. I do, and all the other big guys do. That matters because we get inflows, we get outflows. We want our end of our quarters to be great because that way we get more money to make more money. That's just the game. And I'm telling you the truth, right? Like, I don't have to, I want to. And so don't start thinking like my stuff that I learned in Econ 101 means a fucking thing. Sorry, it doesn't. <laughs> because the truth is, You've got the Suez Canal, suspicious. You've got Archegos, Noruma, like suspicious, suspicious. And you've got narrative, 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 SPACs are dead, this and that. After everyone, the short sellers have eased off and then we dropped. Like you got into the narrative and they won. So now what do you think they're going to do? If they're going to play along the same side, because if all the nav on SPACs went from plus 27 pre-DA to zero and all the warrants were at an arbitrage, you could buy the warrants and it would catch up to the stock price and you'd make money. That's free money. If you have $100 billion, you do all that, you short it, you're up 50%, you walk away, go to the Hamptons and you're done. Meanwhile, retail is trying to figure out their free cash flow. Like, Don't be sheep. Really understand the perspective of what the market is because it's not 2020 anymore. It's big boy time again. Booyakasha, dude. Tony Talks <laughs> is in today. It's the truth. Uh, all right, Tony, you're talking about these big boys. I know I need to lose some weight. I, I don't know if you're talking about me <laughs> or you're talking about the hedge funds or you're talking about the blue chips out there. You could elaborate yeah. here. I mean, I just got to be so upfront and I explained to you guys that this market is, you know, back then in, in 2020, it was like pretty easy because everything was so down. Things wanted to go back to highs. A lot of people had a, lost a lot of money. A lot of money was on the sidelines. So people were playing the game. And now in 2021, like it's easier to go to the opposite side of everything, right? Like you saw when, when call premiums were going to the moon because everyone was buying calls, right? The market starts going down. Then everyone stopped buying calls and the market started going back up last week. Right. So this is all just the structure of the inner workings of the market. Right. So it's a huge, huge, huge thing to understand. It's like while you may have your own specific opinions or thoughts, like at that moment in time, it's so important to understand what everyone else is thinking. 
right? The narratives that drive the market are the reasons why you make or lose money. And believing that you have any leg to stand on, right, as a retail investor without understanding what the actual big money is doing is just it's a joke. You're fooling yeah. yourselves and you don't really get it. And it's, this is not me saying like retail is worthless. Like I am still, re- I am retail. Like, right. Like I do this podcast for free. I do all this stuff for free because I am retail. I want to do this, but I'm saying that there's a bunch of people with a lot more money that have a lot more money to make by going against retail sometimes. Right. So it's like I was saying earlier, like when the SPACs, if it's 27% above the floor of $10 and a bunch of these are obviously not going to get deals because the supply glut, which I talked about, cause we talked about SPACs since like June, right? Like, and I was in them since December, 2019, like with, with space, this is not new, but eventually at some point there's going to be a precipice and there's going to be more money to make in shorting the shares and buying the warrants, catching the art between. And then at some point, like CMLF is a great example the warrants were five when the stock was 13. That's because the arbitrage flipped there, right? So there's no money left in holding warrants and like shorting the stock when it's already almost at 10. So the move is to now flip it around and go higher. And then you saw the warrants stayed in place. Yep. So the game was to capture a ton of arbitrage and the SPACs went from 27% higher than their premium above NAV before a deal to pretty much flat. And then it reset because their incentive is like, hey, like we're not making that kind of money anymore. The easy money is made. Let's flip, run it back up. And now that's why you guys saw those big flows at the end of the quarter and everything. And I don't know how much of it had to do with like tax law selling because a lot of those positions were bought a year ago. Right. Mm -hmm. So who knows there? But I will say like that is the that's what drove the market. If you didn't notice that we got bad news every single day. And I always say this on the pod. When you get one piece of bad news, you get 100. When you get one piece of good news, you get 100. And then you can see we got one piece piece, right? Suez Canal, like it started flowing again, right? And so just, yeah. just little things like that. And like, despite the 10 years still being at 1.7, like things start flowing back because it is a psychologically driven market. And that's mm-hmm. huge. And I know everyone's worried about all these littler names, but this is nothing different than what I've seen a hundred times. I've seen this in the last two years, a bunch of times as a cycle of regression and that's life. That's everything. And this is why buy and hold doesn't make any sense to me. If you know this, you're silly to be looking at your screen trading every day and not acting on it. Yeah. It happened in September of 2019. It happened in March of last year, July, and then September again. It just happens. I, there's ebbs and flows of the market, right? And, and we saw them, them zigging and zagging, right? You know, everyone on Wall Street bets was grabbing GameStop. And you talked about this earlier in the podcast where it flipped, right? And then they were fucking Geppetto and, and puppeteering this entire thing, right? And so even with SPACs, like we called it out. We're like, oh shit, SPACs are now on CNBC, you know, six yeah, months after high. we started talking about it. <laughs> yeah. That, we, we, we even knew it, but we weren't able to trim fast enough there. But like, that is kind of the concept in my head. If the masses are all talking about it, and we all are a part of this, right? We we hear this echo chamber on FinTwit. Listen, we're, we're probably part of the problem to some capacity, but we really try to, to dig in and make you guys start to think for yourselves. Like the reality is once everyone starts to talk about that, we see it over and over again. You know, that that's typically a sign of a top. Absolutely. And, and this is not like random information. Like I've just learned on my own. Like I've had people who are very, very experienced in the industry talk to me about this. Like a lot of people degrossed a while ago and people are waiting to get back in post quarter. That's the way the flows work, right? Like if you did well on the quarter, you sold everything, you're waiting for that 25% increase in AUM because you're getting new raises. And trust me, that happens. I know for a fact. So people are doing that. And that's just the way that the game works, right? Like if you have long-term one-year taxes, you might as well take them now because what happens if they raise again next year? Like, so this is just kind of how this is kind of working. And people are all worried about these like growth names. And I, I would say, once again, understand your perspective of risk, but then I will go 
back and say like, even the great stocks, and I'm doing the bunny quotes for the billionth time on the podcast because PayPal went down 28%, ARC went down 34%, Apple down 20%, CRM down 30%. Tencent, 28%, BABA, 33%, NVIDIA, 25%, Qualcomm, 26%, Shopify, 33%, Snowflake, 53%, Palantir, 54%, (laughs) CrowdStrike, 33%, and Unity, 51%. Every single person, buy and hold, is in all these names that I know on Twitter and on everywhere. And I just want you guys to understand it. It's not just the growth names. And by the way, those names are probably down year to date, while pounding the table bio names are not down year to date. There's a difference. You have to understand the context there. If you're so in a bad place because you did so fucking good, you're not that bad at all. Everything's fine. We always use these boat analogies, Tony, right? We talk about the Suez Canal, this monstrous ship. But a lot of the names that we were looking at were just really simply over that VWAP. And for those of you you know who are unfamiliar, that's the volume weighted average price, right? They were all way overextended. Hence that fast crash that we saw. You know, Of course, we had that rally up, but this is just how stuff moves, right? You go up, it's just like a, a roller coaster. You go up, yeah. you're going to come right back down. You always talk about everything regressing to the mean. You also touch on timing the markets. I, I know no one can necessarily time it perfect. So I, I've had little arguments back and forth with that. Like if you look over time, things tend to go up if you look at 10 years, but you are better than most people, I would say, you know, in terms of timing the market. So what do you look for? And, and maybe it's not a perfect thing, but how do you get the sense that it may be time to, to pivot there? Yeah, I like how you said time to pivot there. When I say I'm timing the markets, it's not an exact point right then and there. Like I think people, first of all, just completely misunderstand the, like, and I've said this on the pause before, but I'll say it again, misconstrue the concept of timing the markets, right? Like mm. if you're buying anything other than just like not looking at your account, like just have a dollar cost average set in your broker, you don't look good on you. That's your strategy. I have nothing to say to you. Proud of you. Keep doing you, man. Good job. Good luck. But, but I will say, if you're sitting there watching the markets every day, right? And like, I am always, always talking about mean regression. That is what I mean by timing the markets. So everyone's like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to sell because it's already up so much. What if it keeps going higher? Who gives a cat? Like, who cares? Like, who cares at all? Because you know, you can look at the mathematics of it, right? The reason why like, I am so big about the average volume weighted average price is just because it's like an indicator for understanding how much was bought at that time and that price. So that shows you conviction along the line. And that's the line of most conviction. So things are going to go back to the line of most conviction. And that's when you can start to time it. That's when you buy it. And when you sell it, it's the further and further it gets away from that. I calculated, like I was looking at all the charts, the heads of the table, SE, Fiverr, all those names, right back to their VWAPs from important times when new buyers came in because of either earnings or because it was the March bottom or this, that, or whatever. When I say I'm timing the markets, it does not mean I'm sitting there catching the exact penny at which point it reverses or the exact top point. No. Timing markets has to do with doing what's best for your portfolio at that time. So first of all, anytime you do anything, you're changing anything, you're timing right there. doesn't matter. If you're a dollar cost average guy in your IRA, all you're doing is buying and holding long-term over weeks. Good on you. That's your strategy. You're not looking. You're doing everything right. Nothing wrong. I can't say anything to you. And I also, I respect a ton of these guys on Twitter. I respect most of everyone who I don't know or who I talk to who's polite. But the problem is that these things can get in your head and they get in my head. And that's why I get so aggravated about it because I want everyone to understand that is kind of riskier than understanding that, hey, like if something hits this volume weighted average price, like Fiverr's is 200. If you look at the chart and saw that Fiverr went to 330, that's overextended. Like regardless of like news, this and that, like news does have an impact, right? And that'll mean that there's more buying at the top, which means the VWAP will come up, which means it'll come down less when it goes down. That's the way you play it. It's this like 
kind of simultaneous, almost syncopated pattern between when's a good time to buy and a good time to sell. Once again, I didn't make a ton of money on this drop. I lost a ton of money on this drop and everyone does, but I was still never negative for the year. So like, that's how that works. Like to zoom out in the most like highest of level stuff, we've been up the whole time. And that's like a good thing to know. But then you have to really understand that like, hey, if Fiverr's at 330 or if SE's at 290 or whatever, and that's 20, 30% from the VWAP, that's got 10, 15, 20% to come down and hit the other VWAP again. Like that's the thing. Right. It'll regress back there. And it's just the buy and hold strategy. I get it. And that's fine. But I think a lot of people are already trying to do other things and they're kind of lying to themselves on what kind of investor. Because if you're buying in and out of new names every once in a while, every few days, you are timing the market. Yeah. So I want you to understand how to do it effectively, because even though you don't think you are timing the market, you probably are. Yeah. And you've sort of become sort of this like almost like an activist investor to switch gears just a little bit. You know, you, you mentioned some of the conviction you have, obviously, with with SE and You've been one of the, the stalwarts here for genomics and so forth. But one of our favorite names we've been talking for a while is uh, let's just do the little Batman theme song. No, 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 Nanox, right? So <laughs> this thing right here, right? Instead of the big moves like the song, we got some big news here from Nanox. Can you share with all of Pound Nation what just happened today and why you're so excited more than ever here about Nanox? Yeah, I think once again, you guys have known, like I posted a thread before it even came out at an IPO. And I was like, man, this thing reminds me of like ISRG vibes. It's got the MSAS. It's like everything that I want to see in a company that's going to disrupt a space and not even just disrupt it, create two thirds of a new total addressable market potential. And within that, be able to actually penetrate more than the one third that's already there by those one to $3 million, 2000 kilogram machines versus a $10,000 or free because they're just setting it up and getting paid $40 a scanner, this and that. Mm -hmm very, very different, right? 70 kilograms, you can put it in a lot of different places. But I understand like for people, they're like, oh, well, like, yeah, this could may probably not work. It's risky. It's too revolutionary. That's my favorite kind of thing to buy when everyone's like, oh, you're probably wrong, Tony. I'm like, all right, buy more, Tony. I'd say that to myself all the time. But here's the news on Nanox. And we've been waiting for this for nine months because it's like definitive proof that it's moving in the right direction. And like, your short thesis, your bear thesis on saying it's not going anywhere is crap. Hey, I told you like three weeks ago, they were producing. They started producing. You don't start producing unless you know you're probably right. So here's the news. An innovative medical imaging technology company announced today that its single source, Nanox.arc, digital x-ray technology received 510K clearance from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, FDA. So while this is not everything, it's moving in the right direction. We will get likely that multi-source, we will get the Nanox cloud. It, 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 it will come, right? Mm -hmm. Not everything happens in a day. Rome wasn't built in a day, but it can get destroyed in a day. So that's the way that the world works, right? Like if you're expecting everything in your investment thesis to be laid out in front of you right away, you're being lazy, right? You got to go deeper into it. The best money I've ever made has been being completely contrary to everyone else and not giving a damn when someone tells me I'm wrong because I did my own due diligence, right? So the fact that they say that we remain on track to commence system shipments in the fourth quarter of 2021 and the first quarter of 2022 with the goal of finalizing deployment of 15,000 systems by the end of 2024, okay? That's $1.2 billion a year in revenue. That puts the stock well over $200. By that time, according to the multiples, give it a 10 times, slap it on easy, should be way higher because their margins will be way higher. But I'm telling you, like if you're still short thinking that it's not gonna happen after this, you're really, really biased. You should really, really learn a little more about yourself and uh, like investing or just buy CDs because you're betting on the wrong stuff. First of all, like it's really hard to bet on a good future to fail right now because there's so many smart people who are putting money in the places where they know the future needs to go or else we're not gonna live peak life. We're not gonna have a peak world. 
And do you want that? Do you want that, Avi? No, I, I like the crystal clear vision you're providing here. It's not muddy. You know, it's very, very clear. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Totally just having some fun there. But Tony, like there were radiologists. There were some very, very smart people that were against Nanox, right? How do you have conviction when, you know, we joke that you're a radiologist, but there's real radiologists that were bringing up some red flags here. Like how do you break through and, and just have that conviction beyond these professionals? The world that we live in today, I have everything in the world at my fingertips. No matter how smart someone is, you can be a radiologist, a pilot, an epidemiologist. I am all of it. You can be all of it. You can be anything you choose to be. You don't have to go to college for four years. I didn't learn shit. You can do anything you want by the tips of your fingertips. And, and, and you don't think that that's worth it to go and dig in and read and learn and research that space. If you put a dollar into something, you better know everything about it up and down or as much as you possibly can. Because if you know enough, then you don't want to miss the boat. You'll learn the rest later. So mm -hmm. that's the way that I work. But I will say, this doesn't just apply for Nanox specifically. This applies for everything, right? I heard this when I bought Ethereum at 62. I heard this when I bought Bitcoin at 1,000. I heard this when I bought Tesla at 100 pre-split. And I heard this on a 1,000 other names that I made money on. And the problem is, like, of course, I've lost money on some trade. Of course, I've lost money on some investments. But when you get deep conviction, you lean into the fear. You realize that people getting shaken up and not knowing the context and the time and the place of what's going on, they're the ones that run away and hide. You don't close your account, you don't run away, you don't panic, capitulate, cry. You be an adult, you deal with the shit in front of you. You look, you do research and you make sure that if you're gonna be wrong, you're not gonna be mad at yourself. Cause it doesn't matter what someone else's opinion is. I don't care the smartest radiologist or the smartest whatever tells me, whatever the hell they wanna tell me. I did my own research, I looked at it with my own eyes. And also a lot of people in those spaces are biased, right? Like think about it, if you only know one industry the way it is right now, it's hard for you to assume it's gonna be different if you worked in it for 30 years that way. Right, so that's the problem. And the same with the car industries. Think about the context of what people are saying. Why are people who are in the auto industry not a fan of EVs? Unless they have to be. They're 10 years later, they have to be because they're gonna get fucking crushed otherwise. And yep. it's the same with Nanox. Why would people bounce to like, get all up in it if they know they're gonna disrupt the industry? Like all these things are, are, are gonna get wiped out because Nanox is just better. Innovation and disruption does not get done easily. It's by the people who don't give a damn what the status quo is and they want to change it because the next status quo is the right one. Tony, my jaw is dropped. You are spinning some hot fire. I don't know if it's time away from the podcast or if you're drinking some of that special juice from like Space Jam or something. What's going on, man? Yeah, I mean, definitely time away from the podcast, but I also got the thermometer cranked up in here to 100 degrees Celsius. Ooh, something else that is very hot is this interview we are about to do here with the CEO of Celsius. And this is really exciting for us. We've been talking about Celsius almost every single episode thus far. We're really excited to welcome John Fieldley, the CEO of Celsius. Welcome here, John. Wow, what an introduction. Cheers to that. Really like it, guys. <laughs> Glad to be here. Awesome. So we've heard us here sharing our passion for Celsius, but you know, want to know like your background first and what's that deeper story behind Celsius? So we see the weightlifters, people going to the gyms. We're kind of that that new audience, perhaps. Uh, we're day traders. <laughs> Clearly, I need to go to the gym a little bit more so I can do that myself. But I drink two to three a day and I love it as, as a trader. So I uh, would love to understand the deeper story behind Celsius and what, what attracted you there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Celsius has an amazing story. It's been around for over 10 years. So to your point today, we're getting broader distribution. So people are starting to notice us more and uh, seeing us on a variety of different media platforms and marketing initiatives. But 
we were born in gyms and health clubs when you look at it. And that's where the roots of the product lays. So it's a thermogenic, it burns calories and body fat. It's all backed by science. And that's really built the brand over the last really five years back to the 2010 to 2000, uh, you know, 15 and 16. And then through the migration, every brand goes through understanding the identity. Why are we mm-hmm. connecting with consumers and, and how do we go after a broader market? So originally we started off going after, you'll still find us today in many, many, many diet nutrition sets uh, throughout the country. And that was uh, really an easier route to market. And today we see a broader audience for Celsius. So as Celsius has seven essential vitamins. It tastes great. You guys love the flavor. We have 13 great flavors now. We're adding more. But, it, but we, those attributes have never changed. We're just consumers are looking for healthier, better for you options. They're not looking for their grandfather's energy drink anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, your age, you're coming into the category looking for something different. And then we're seeing consumers age out looking for something better than what they were drinking in the past. So yeah. we've been gaining further and further expansion on that. And we got a lot of good stuff in store and, and uh, doing a great job. I'm happy that you touched on my favorite thing about Celsius right from the get-go is the fact that I work so much, so many hours in the day, and I can't just continue to chug Red Bulls and Monsters and other energy drinks that I know I'm essentially drinking syrup. Uh, and the fact that you guys have done those studies and and know that your product is quite healthy and and honestly, in comparison to the competitors, it's a whole nother brand. Health is in and you guys are riding that trend perfectly. So, you know, I know you guys started about 10 plus years ago kind of wondering, you know, now that you're public, how has this changed the way a CEO like yourself does his job? You know, mentally, you know, is that in the back of your head when you're making decisions now? Of course, the passion's there. That's the the goal sure. is to you know, share the mission of Celsius. But, you know, what has that done positive, maybe negative for you in, the, in you know, the recent years? We're here to take Celsius to number one in the category. So that's never been, yeah. it hasn't changed at one, you know, one time. So uh, mm-hmm. it just, you know, we keep fighting for that next quarter. We keep uh, pushing harder each day. And, you know, it's uh, Celsius is more about than just an energy drink. It's uh, Celsius live fit, right? It's the it's that essential energy. And you talk mm-hmm. about usage occasions. You know, we're all working harder. And it's it's for that next set at the gym. It's for that next interview <laughs> for that afternoon pickup. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's for everyone now. And that's where the category is growing. Like health and wellness trends. You look at it. It's not about doing backflips on half pipes without a helmet on. It's about, mm-hmm. you know, you're drinking an energy drink for your peak performance. That's what it's about. That's why you're drinking peak it. performance. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> you got to get a, an ad with us with the morning pound because I love the the feeling. I'd say like just this like clean energy compared to like the Red Bulls and such. It just that's how I always describe it to like my friends. I'm like, it just feels like clean, like this amazing lift. But mm-hmm. like. And that's the way the product's really built. The product was built by scientists in the sports nutrition industry. So it's not just a, created in, a, in a, a back room or in someone's house. This was created by really individuals that are deeply ingrained in sports nutrition. So those seven essential vitamins we have, a green tea and ginger and guarana and mm-hmm. chromium and biotin in the product. I mean, almost over two grand, 2.5 grams of vitamins in the product. So you look at the facts panel, it's a lot of dosages of uh, your 100% of your daily vitamins in there as well. So it is a proven formula and that's what you get that great feeling on it. So mm-hmm. we hear from a lot of consumers that one thing they like about Celsius is they know, the no crash and no jitters. Yeah. A lot mm-hmm. of these energy drinks, you know, 300 milligrams and, and some of these where they're just caffeine and sugar, you get this anxious feeling, right? It's not this elevation, nice lift and a nice experience. You go up and you crash. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's one thing we hear hands down is the experience on the product. And that's why I also think we have such a 
really a strong, loyal fan base around us. Yeah. You know, we've had a, a bunch of pounders that, you know, wrote to us asking, you know, are they going to be getting into like alcoholic drinks, anything with CBD or, or THC? Like I always said, like, I would love to have the Celsius snooze, like before bed, something, <laughs> you know, that has a formula that, that would help me go to sleep, you know, melatonin, whatever it may be. I'm not the scientist, just, but anything yeah. that we could expect down the road. There's a lot of drinks out there like that mood enhancing or, you know, mood sleeping, like uh, Bob Marley has a product out there right. and, and a bunch of interesting <laughs> stuff. So we, we look at a lot of different things. We have a cross-functional team that meets actually weekly. Uh, we look at concepts and trends, protein products. Uh, we've looked at uh, collagen. Um, mm-hmm. Immunity products is really big right now. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at, you know, enhancing uh, some immunity products with Celsius and a variety of other things. So uh, timing and sequencing is key. We have a huge opportunity right here with our core line and Celsius, and we're excited about that. But we are on trying to stay on the forefront of what's changing in the beverage industry. And you're absolutely right. You know, innovation is key. People want more function out of the foods they eat and consume. Mm-hmm. And we definitely want to be a part of that in the future. So just like being a, a health drink, right? You mentioned you guys were started in the gyms. It goes without saying, no secret, every business has been affected from the coronavirus, unfortunately. You know, you guys had mentioned that as well. Of course, that is a portion of your business. I think you mentioned 20% or so on, on yep. Jonah Lupton's uh, podcast a few weeks yep. back. How much has that affected your business? And do you see as the country starts to open back up that you'll see a, a growth into new spaces as well, outdoor events, et cetera? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it, we have been detrimented. That whole channel has been really struggling. And even when the, the pandemics first started hitting, we, we've embraced that. Uh, mm-hmm. We reached out to all of our fitness partners, all of the trainers. We started a Sweat with Celsius campaign where we were bringing all of our trainers that we could connect with, giving them a platform to further build, you know, their fan base and, and hopefully pick up some more clients as well as they go forward with this new type of workouts and trainers and, and personal training format. So we've been embracing, we're not walking away from that. We're very ingrained in staying with that, that community. But with that, that business 20% down, we have seen sales migrate over to traditional retail and then online. Um, Amazon has been a, a great business mm-hmm. for us over the last several years. I mean, we're the third largest energy drink brand on Amazon. Uh, we're a 0.2, 0.2 share behind Red Bull, which really shows you the opportunity we have here because Amazon's really an even playing field, right? Mm-hmm. So that shows you, you know, what if you feel the average consumer is shopping on Amazon, Celsius has massive opportunity in traditional retail. And what we're doing in traditional retail right now is we're switching over from a direct to retail model to a DSD model, which is more of like a white glove service. I know we spoke about prior to uh, jumping on about some of the out of stocks that we're seeing out there. That's really has to do with the product being stuck in the back room. And Mm -hmm. uh, what this does, the DSD services, it allows us to get that white glove. Most importantly, as we said, it gets us in the bullseye which is in the strike zone in a cooler, which is extremely critical. We don't want to be in the gutter. Uh, we want to mm-hmm. be in the strike zone. And, and when we have that opportunity and we're in that strike zone, Celsius turns at the same rate, if not better than the major leading brands. So that's what gets us really excited and gets us going every morning. I was just saying like every single person I've turned on to it. Now it becomes like, cult-esque almost like yeah, at least amongst our pounders like everyone's like all right we wake up with our morning pound and, and we're we, that's like that's a substitute now for coffee at least for me now that's what <laughs> yeah. I drink instead of coffee i totally agree with like yeah i believe in that because i've seen it myself like i go to Publix, you know down here locally in key west and there's this huge vat in the center of the store with you know maybe thousands of cans and, and they're gone like this and and if there's ever a a BOGO offer or anything like it, it's it's gone even faster. So yeah, would love to hear something, maybe some of these expansion plans or 
So maybe some acquisitions, cool other little brands you can develop under, partnerships, whatever you've got down the road, maybe some new states that you're entering into. Sure, absolutely. We just finished the year with 82,000 locations. So in Amazing. 2020, we added about 18,000 locations, which was really exciting. I mean, that's over a 25% increase in, in new store distribution that came on really towards the end of 2020. But you know, when you look at the opportunities, everyone was talking about this performance energy category in the energy space. Uh, you saw the success of Bang, um, Rain came out. And really prior to 2019, Celsius was really getting just got the door shut in the convenience channel for us. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, it's, when you look at it, uh, Celsius was, we were building distribution and building velocities in grocery uh, mass and in the gyms and health clubs, but we were getting a lot of feedback from buyers that, you know, they weren't ready for convenience because their consumer is maybe Bubba, they would say, and it would drive me nuts because yeah, everyone yeah. cares about what they put in their body. And, that, mm -hmm. yeah. and, and this is where the category is going. But 2019 was the trigger point and everyone mm -hmm. was talking about, there's a trade show called NACS. So NACS happens every year, right around October. Every buyer in the convenience channel in the industry is at this store, at this uh, trade show, walking the floor, really looking for new products to add to their sets for the next year. We had great success. We were expecting to go really gain substantial distribution in the convenience channel. And why is that important? Well, 70% of energy drink sales are traditionally sold there. So it is very important. If you want to be a major player in the energy drink category, you mm -hmm. got to win in convenience. So you know, we were really excited about that. Then the pandemic hits, you know, retailers put holds on all their resets for 2020. Mm -hmm. But 2021 seems like it's going to be a good year. It seems like a lot of retailers are going to update their sets. So we're excited about that where we stand right now. We're hoping to be in more locations and a retailer near you very soon. Um, we're finally getting some of the tallies on that and what we're going to add. And we'll hopefully be able to share that on our earnings, our Q1 earnings coming up, which we should release somewhere around mid-May. So That'll be excited there to share with everyone, but lots of opportunity. That's what we're working on, um, you know, where we sit and um, we'll see the sky's the limit. Yeah. I mean, if, if your biggest problem is coming up with more things to put in people's hands because they're asking for it, then I don't think you really have a, a problem there at all. And one thing I'd like to say that you guys do just superbly is advertising and marketing. I mean, I think I've opened like a Forbes and I've seen full page Celsius thing. And I was, I was like, how, how did this get in here? You know, the companies. You know, you're still obviously just in the first inning of growth stage here. So I'm thinking like, oh, they're in, they're in Forbes. And then I go on, you know, my, my Instagram or my Twitter and it's like Celsius here, Celsius there with famous people doing cool things. And they're doing it with the energy provided by Celsius. So I'd like maybe if you could touch on a little bit about exactly what you think about when you go into a marketing or influencer strategy partnership, kind of like that, because you guys are crushing it and maybe someone can learn something. Yeah, we, we got a great team, a great team here for sure. But, you know, when you look at it, it's not one thing does it right. No one mm -hmm. thing that's going to be a grand slam. It's a combination of a variety of initiative and consistent repetition. Um, and we've done a lot of great partnerships over the years as well. Um, you know, Dog Pound has been a great partnership. Uh, Equinox, uh, we've gone on, you know, Forbes have, has done a lot of write-ups on us as well. And it's a variety of different verticals. And, you know, it's, uh, we do, the team does a great job. We continue to get better. Listen, we're always going to be outspent. We're going up against David and Goliath. You know, mm -hmm. the only way we're right. going to out, you know, win in this is we got to outmaneuver and out execute. We got to have an amazing product. That's uh, number one. So we got that. So now we got to get it out to the masses. Household penetration is extremely low. So we need to continue to work to build that. When it's building, it's getting better, but we're a long ways to go. The latest Nielsen data that comes out that kind of shows where the brands are in the category, right? Goldman Sachs put out a report uh, right around February 27th. The latest Nielsen data showed that Celsius 
out of the 12 weeks had a 1.1% share of the energy category. Now that wow. seems like a really small number that is extremely difficult to achieve. So that we're really excited about that. And, um, you know, in Amazon, we have a little over a 14 and a half percent share in the energy oh, yes. category on Amazon. So first you know, thing when I type in energy that, drinks, yeah, it's a, it's a big category. And if you can extrapolate that, you know, it gets you really excited on where we're headed. So we'll see where we go, but, uh, I'm not going to give out any marketing secrets or anything because oh, it, it, whatever we do, all these brands continue to copy us, uh, mm. and a different thing. So, Whatever, whatever we try to do, they copy. So I'm trying. I, I stopped talking about it, the specifics on exactly what they're doing. They'll have to figure it out on their own. Fair um, enough. Fair enough. So <laughs> no, it's super exciting. It sounds like you're expanding, you know, to new areas and new businesses and product lines. In terms of like global expansion, I know you guys did a partnership over in, in Asia. Uh, if you could talk to a little bit about that, and then we had a few fans that were asking, you know, like, when are we going to get this in Europe, and when are we going to get this, you know, in, in Canada? So I'm, I'm very curious, um, and our founders, I'm sure, are curious, just if there is anything you can share about uh, global. Right. Well, founders, it's coming soon. Uh, you know, the same health and wellness trends in the U.S. are global, right? So you know, what happens in North America happens in Europe, happens in Asia, happens all around the world, and we are starting to gain some presence in Asia. We have small team, you know, we're a small brand, small company, but we're getting bigger each day. We do have some distribution in China through a, a partnership. Uh, we have a licensing royalty agreement there and starting to gain some traction. Got some distribution in Hong Kong and Malaysia. And the pandemic has really hurt us, but the great opportunities there. I mean, everyone wants something better, healthy for you. And those traditional energy drinks, sugary energy drinks really dominate over there. And as we all know, everyone's working harder in the world each and every day. So we definitely need more energy throughout our days. And, and we're, we're here to provide that. Mm -hmm. And in Europe, we do have approximately around a 10% share in Sweden, um, and in Finland and Norway. So look for us soon there. And we're looking at the UK currently, um, talking to some partners there. So UK and Germany could be a great opportunity for us. Uh, trying to be more methodic on our approach. Um, we don't want to be like Napoleon and uh, and conquer. Plus, uh, investors won't like that as we that would increase in a lot more cash uh, burned. So yeah. we are really focused on driving profitable growth for our investors, and uh, we're going to reinvest to continue to drive revenue as quickly as we can, but mm -hmm. in more of a methodical approach. But uh, look for us in Europe. You'll be able to find us on many of the e-com platforms, hopefully in a near future. Um, and we also have a. I know you talked about new products as well. We have a fast portfolio of protein snacks, which is one of the leading oh. snack portfolio, uh, protein snack portfolios in Finland. And we're looking to migrate that over in 2021 into the US. So we're gonna do some seeding and testing on that. Not gonna take it to retail right away, more of a methodical approach. We're gonna see what type of brand awareness we can build around it through e-com, maybe some of our targeted retail partnerships, but the product tastes amazing. It's very innovative in the proteins category. It's a uh, that's like an indulgence protein. Mm. It tastes amazing. I'll get you guys some. So be on the lookout on that. And we'll see. That could add to the portfolio in the coming years as we bring it to retail. And we'll see where it goes. But um, that came in the, we did an acquisition with our Nordic partners back in 2019. So that portfolio came with it. And we'll see where it goes. But we're very much focused on, on the Celsius core portfolio. Love it. Uh, last question here for you. What are you most excited about here for, for 2021 and beyond? 2021, I, we're sitting at a 14 and a half percent share on Amazon and we're only sitting at a 1% yeah. share in the energy category. I mean, that's uh, that shows you the opportunity we're working towards. I've never been more excited. You know, I've been with the company now for over nine and a half years. We got some really good people. You guys talked about your passion about the product as well, which is so cool. And, and we have the same passion. I mean, it's it runs in our veins and, you know, it's a uh, it's exciting times, uh, the distribution. I think the consumers are more ready now, you know, in the category than ever before. It's it's like traditional energy meets fitness. 
you know, performance energy in this, this, this area, this gray area, white space uh, that we're going after. And it's, I, I just see massive disruption with the Celsius portfolio going after that energy category. So love that. Look at it dominate. Amazing. And, uh, yeah, it looks like you guys are just, you know, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. You're starting to put on these new legs. And obviously like, I, lo I love the focus that you have for investors on profitable growth. I know like a lot of the stocks in the market recently have been absolutely decimated as a result of high valuations. And, you know, Celsius is growing way faster than monster and trading at like roughly the same multiple. And knowing that you guys have that 14.5, percent share on Amazon and obviously the world's going digital we're getting more and more into e-commerce it's like that it seems like that'll translate very nicely over that household penetration and get into that big you know retail big box everywhere kind of store awesome well thanks so much John really a pleasure I hope you become a pounder really appreciate Absolutely. it we love Celsius and, and thanks so much again John Fieldley everyone I appreciate you having you thanks for having me guys appreciate it Talk soon. Cheers. All right, Tony, I'm feeling a little bit of fangirl this year. Uh, it's finally amazing to have John <laughs> on. Long time in the making. John mentioned that he'd love to have us back on the show, so we'll take him up on that. And we really have a lot of amazing interviews coming up. I know we had mentioned we're bringing Sam Carson, a.k.a. Jam Croissant, on uh, Twitter, and a bunch more that we can't give away quite uh, yeah, yet. It's croissant. Croissant. I know I work for a French company. Uh, good. We'll, we'll work French, on that. So we'll work. Uh, but yeah, I mean, over the past couple of weeks, we've been building out this team of incredible pounders to help with social, with due diligence, a number of different areas that are just going to continue to allow us to grow. So, you know, that that's an open invitation too. If you guys feel like you can contribute uh, and make pounding the table even better than it is today, feel free to show us a DM and, and we'll spend time talking with you guys. And, and speaking of Twitter, Tony, you know, I'll give you the floor as we wrap up this episode to give... Foundation, some thoughts to really ponder this week. <laughs> I like that, Avi. I just wanted to say, like, there's so many guys on Twitter that I look at, I watch their stuff all the time. I like read all their tweets. I respect them. They do great work. And I really don't like seeing people come at those people who share their information and their research for free. And it's not, it's just, it's unbecoming of a person it's to do nice, that. not nice, guys. It's not it's, nice. Yeah, it's, it's, apart from not nice, it shows that you have the world's worst qualities as a human can have. Yeah. So maybe if you had respect and if you worked harder yourself, you would succeed instead of expecting everyone to hold your hand and basically take you to the promised land that does not happen in life. And in no way am I ever going to blame anyone for anything ever, because I'm the one clicking the buttons, because I'm the one saying what I'm saying and thinking what I'm thinking to myself. And that's the same thing you should do. And all these guys on Twitter They've had it up to here. And I know because I talked to them and it's disrespectful. I'm not Mr. Nice Guy anymore. I don't know if you could tell by the tone of the podcast. No, Tony, I totally agree. And, and if you guys are going to come at anyone, come at me. I don't care. You can't, you can't <laughs> troll the ultimate troll. So please, please come at me. If you guys get really obnoxious, I'll probably block you. But yeah, I, I think the, the truth is we spend a lot of time digging in, doing our own research. So do your own due diligence. Use us as entertainment and, and some thought-provoking content to start to think about, of course. But we love you guys, Pound Nation. We want to make this a, a very fun experience and, and hope everyone, you know, has a great time listening and learning, but put respect yeah. on our names. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, I really, I'm fine with it. I like engaging with trolls. It actually fires me up. But what I'm saying is like a lot of the people who are just on here sharing their nice, cool thoughts, their sub stacks, their researches for free, like give those guys respect, man. Like they're, yeah. they're taking time from having dinner with their family. Like I am. Like they're taking, like obvious too. Like mm. all these guys do that, right? Like we're all down from our highs. I'm down from my highs. It, it's just the way the world works, right? You have these cycles, but I will tell you once I said like, you remember last week, everyone was so, so sad, despondent and like, 
I was almost like, I was upset myself. I was like, oh man, this is so annoying, this slow bleed. It's like everything was just getting so like institutionally sold at these like perfect amount of cells every day. It was just a consistent bleed. And when that happens, like, you know, at some point it's going to flip. You just have to make sure that you're going to be okay when it does. So then when it starts turning around, you can capitalize on it and not get blown up. The higher you stay up when it drops, the higher you go when it rips. And that's the most important thing. So like, I, I would urge you to continue to look at those weaknesses. Like this is the perfect time to go back and look at everything that you've done and say, what did I do wrong? And don't do it again, because that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm like, I'm livid with myself because I should have been higher than I am because that drop I knew was coming and I should have flipped short and capitalized on it, but I didn't. And so that's the thing, like we'll all have those things. I don't know what it is for you, but that was that for me. And it's something for everyone. No one did this perfectly. Maybe someone did and they're great. And we could have them on the podcast. That'd be a good show. But once again, guys, like this is the game, the markets. Like I know like the last year has been so easy. And I was saying the last few episodes, it's going to be a crash that puts hair on your chest. All of us are looking like Godzilla right now because we all have hair on our chest after this. So it's really important to realize that you got to learn from this experience. You can be upset at yourself. You could be upset at nobody else. And from that, you learn and you grow and you pound harder the next week. We'll see you again next week. Boom. Drip on a honey, I say less, that's me. Y'all on level one, on level three. Pounding on the table for my team. Every night I flex, I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves. That's a big move. I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves. That's a big move. Yeah. Make a play, don't talk about it. Master P, I'm bad about it. This one here for all that try to count me out and they still counting. Honestly, I never doubt it. Say the top is never crowded. Well, I'm trying to climb the mountain till I need a few accountants. Stock is rising, perfect timing. I'm in Brickle with the tribe. Shawty sliding, she want sushi, she want eel sauce for the rice. I just peel off with the light, took her heels off for the ride. Don't say real talk, this a lie. I'm a real one, I provide, yeah. Drip on a hundred.